scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, in the 23rd chapter, beginning in the 23rd verse. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's return to the scripture that we read just a few moments ago with Blake from Luke 23. It's the same, exact same scripture we used last week. Uh, we have, if you're visiting, we've been in a study in the gospel according to Luke uh, for over two years now. And we've come to the last. Uh, we've, we've looked in those two years, two and a half years, we've looked, uh, gone line by line. Uh, episode by episode. I know some of you are ready to be done with Luke, but this is such a precious part as we come down to the cross of Jesus Christ. And in this last week, from the time of the triumphal entry, when he entered Jerusalem for that last week, we've slowed down and, and looking at every word, looking at every conversation, looking at everything that was done. And so we return this morning to the same scripture we had last week, and the reason will be obvious in just a few minutes. Jesus' last sermon. In the passage we read this morning, we see Jesus continuing to encounter people even in his last, and to engage people even in his last hour. When he gave himself over to die, he did not quit living. This has been so convicting to me this week. He did, he did not quit being Jesus. He didn't quit being Messiah of Israel. He did not abandon his ministry in some melancholy resignation. What a lesson for all of us. On the way to Golgotha, we saw last week a brief encounter as he was relieved of the cross and it was and Simon of Cyrene was told, demanded by the Romans to carry his cross because Jesus could not make it. We saw how that seemingly chance engagement changed this man's life, changed his family. This morning we'll see that on his way to Golgotha, he was still a prophet who spoke powerfully to these grieving ladies from Jerusalem. 
And even from the cross, he demonstrated to the thief that he was a savior, a savior of sinners. Why is this so convicting? In the midst of our hardest situations, we are still called by God to be who he called us to be. We're called to minister to the world around us, even when it seems that we're the ones in need. Jesus was the one in need. We see this morning that Jesus continued to speak as a prophet, the prophet of Israel, all through the Old Testament. Even from the book of Deuteronomy, we see that the one who would come, the Messiah who would come, would be a prophet. He would be a king. He would be a priest, but he would also be the prophet of all prophets. Look at Deuteronomy 18, 15 on your scripture sheet. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses writing. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's God speaking in verse 18. For centuries, Israel, that that prophecy was repeated over and over. The one coming will be a prophet. For centuries, Israel had said, is this a prophet? Is this a prophet that was to come? Look at John 6, 14. When the people saw the signs that he had done, this is speaking about Jesus, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They were looking. They knew. There's a verse that most people miss. It's in, uh, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the transition is, is, is John exits the stage. As John the baptizer exits the stage, Jesus enters. And each gospel speaks about it. Look at Mark 1.14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. John's on his way out. Here comes Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God. What was he doing? He was proclaiming. He was preaching. He was the prophet. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I like what the King James Version, how it translates that passage. Now after that, after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. He came preaching. There's an unusual word from heaven spoken by the Father. Remember when Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mountain and they had just confessed that he was the son of God and he confirmed what they had said as, as he was transformed before them and they, they saw the pre-incarnate glory of the son of God, bright as, bright as the sun. And what happened? The father spoke. Look at it, Matthew 17, 5 on your scripture sheet. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He didn't say follow him. He didn't say love him. He said, listen. He's the prophet. Why listen? Because he is the prophet. Think about it. It's not the miracles that take up most of the space in the Gospels. It's not the death of Christ that takes up most of the pages of the Gospels. It's the preaching of Jesus that takes up 
most of the pages of the gospel. What's a prophet? It's very simple. A prophet is someone who speaks for someone else. A prophet is someone who brings a word from someone else. A prophet in the Old Testament, prophet in the New Testament, was someone who came with a word from God, said, thus saith the Lord. When he said that, he was saying, this didn't come from Isaiah, it didn't come from Jeremiah, it didn't come from Moses. This is God's word. I'm speaking he, what he told me to speak. My brother, his, my older brother is four years older than I am. Sometimes my father would send him to tell me, he, dad would see something needed doing, and he would say, Preston, go tell John to help you with that or to go do that. Well, I didn't like my older brother coming to me and telling me what to do, and I wouldn't pay attention to it. And then would come dad. He would see this didn't get done. He'd come to me and he'd say, didn't Preston tell you? And I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to say Preston didn't do it because Preston was a lot bigger than I was. And I didn't want to deal with that. And so I'd say, yes, Preston told me. And he, dad would look at me and he said, you're just like the children of Israel. He was forever the preacher. And, I, and how was I like the children of Israel? He said God would send them a prophet. He would say, this is my word. This is what I want you to do. And they would pay no attention to it. And he said, Preston was my prophet to you, and you didn't listen. A prophet is merely someone delivering a message from God. That's it. The Old Testament says he will be the king of all kings. He will be the priest of all priests. He will be the prophet of all prophets. And you say, well, John, you, the title of the message is the last sermon of Jesus before the cross. He, he said a lot of words from the cross. He didn't preach from the cross. Think about it. Father, forgive them. Those were the words of a priest praying. I thirst. Those were the words of the son of man. Today you will be with me in paradise. Those were the words of the Savior of sinners. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were the words of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. It is finished. Those were the words of the Redeemer. It is paid. No, his last sermon took place when he turned to the women who were weeping. I want us to see first here an unexpected message. Look at verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said. Now remember, he had been flogged. If he hadn't have been crucified, he probably wouldn't have lived anyway. The flogging was degrading. It was horrible. A Roman citizen could not be flogged. It was a horrific torture that was called half a death. Jesus just lasted a few hours on the cross. Most men lasted for days. His flesh was torn. He was bleeding profusely. You, you would have had to turn your face away if you would have seen him. He was dying before the nails were driven. Isaiah 
in his vision said this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, not because of his glory. In Isaiah 6, the angels, the great archangels, the seraphim hid their faces because of his glory. Here he says, this prophet, this savior that's coming, you'll turn your face away. Because the sight of him will be horrific. At this point, you expect silence. A dying man to be nailed to a tree. At this point, we expect every bit of his energy, mental and physical, to be focused on getting this thing done. But what happened? When he saw the women weeping, He turned and spoke to them. An unexpected message. He was always saying and doing. We've seen it all over and over again in the Gospels. On every page he was always doing what we didn't expect. And he still does today. No one on that walk of death, no one watching this dreadful parade expected Jesus to speak to them. And yet when he saw, put yourself there. Just put yourself there and look at it. And these women are wailing. They're crying because the prophet, the Messiah, has been beaten and he's bloody and he will be crucified. And he turned and spoke the most profound, ironic message. Some people think that that Christianity is nothing more than an ethical code. It's a code of behavior. It's the the law and this is the way we live with the law. They don't understand. That is at first and foremost a relationship with God himself. This is why we were created. We were made in his image. Go back to the garden. We were made to have fellowship with him. We fell from that. In that fall, in our disobedience, in our sin, we inherited a heart that lost that ability. In fact, our affections were turned towards self and sin, pride. But that's what happens when God changes our heart. That fellowship is restored. And we can hear him. Do you remember the first time you really heard God speak? Do you remember the first time you heard for God so loved the world? You may have known the verse. You may have memorized it. But it had never taken hold. Remember when it took hold? That was God speaking. There are people here this morning. who are not here out of some legalistic obedience to be in church on Sunday morning. There are folks here who have come to hear him speak, not John Sartell, but to hear his word opened and the Holy Spirit speak.
if Jesus spoke from that wretched road up Calvary to those grieving folks, is there any place he won't speak? That ought to be our prayer as we open our Bibles at home. Oh, speak to me. If we go to him in prayer, it's not only that we speak to him, but he speaks to us. An unexpected message. Secondly, I want you to see a compassionate message. But turning to them, let's see what he said. What's the content? We saw the context. What's the content? Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. As you read those words, you don't think about them being compassionate, do you? Maybe judgmental, but not compassionate. However, this message was touching and caring, full of compassion. Look how Jesus began. Daughters of Jerusalem. That's a sweet term. He looked at them. Was he angry with them for weeping? No, he said, daughters of Jerusalem. Don't weep for me. He was not rebuking them as if they were morally wrong for weeping for him. He, he spoke kindly to them because they were weeping, daughters of Jerusalem. Well, why, why shouldn't you weep for me? Why wouldn't you weep for the Savior as, he, as he's just in the next half hour will be crucified? And he spoke a message of judgment that would soon fall on Jerusalem. Now, we've heard this before. Go back, and if you want to go back this afternoon, read from the time that he entered Jerusalem. When it, the day he entered Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem, remember? But he spoke of a coming time when Jerusalem would die, that there would be death in the city, and the nation would be destroyed. And almost daily after that, we saw him mention that coming judgment. Not just when he returned, no. When Rome would come, when a nation would come, and an awful, awful siege would take place, and the city would be destroyed. Jesus knew it was coming. And here was the prophet of Israel speaking about it one more time to the women. The irony of it. They were crying for him. And he says, don't we? The irony was that the one for whom they were weeping was weeping for them. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. There's a day coming when you'll say, blessed are the women who've had no children. Blessed are the women that have never nursed a child. Sometimes people are upset. We come to church and we hear a message that's really convicting about our sin. Really convicting about maybe something we've done that week or maybe something's going on in our lives. 
and we leave, and, and we're some people get upset. Sometimes I, I receive telephone calls. That 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 sermon was judgmental. That sermon. That's how we're left feeling. I want to leave church feeling good. Well, I've not been the person that has made you feel bad. I'm a sinner too. And sometimes I feel that way when I leave. I felt I so I felt so convicting this week. Here's Jesus. You know, something happens bad in my life. I'm having a bad day or a hurt or or, you know, some tragedy takes place. And I don't feel like ministering to anybody. I just want to be down. Leave me alone. And here's Jesus. And he's, in an indirect way, he had this ministry with Simon of Cyrene. And then he speaks and talks to these ladies and he speaks to the thief on the cross. That's convicting. It's not the minister that does that. It's not your friend that comes to you and says, I'm concerned about what's happening in your life. And I know you don't want to hear it. But You know, and then points out something in our lives where it's we're really in danger. We want to push that person away. Sometimes you come to me and say, "How can I speak to this person?" Just yesterday, I was speaking to a couple, and and I was asking them how I could approach someone that they knew. I said, "I need your help." Wow, that person's a friend, and I don't want them to become angry at me. Go home and read the Sermon on the Mount. If you can read the Sermon on the Mount and not be convicted, then it, it, it this is Jesus Christ. This is God speaking to us, an unexpected message, but it's a compassionate message. It's a compassionate. When you go to that friend, are you being judgmental? No, I hope not. Please don't. Lord, you have sin in your heart too. But it's out of compassion and care. An unexpected message, a compassionate message. Finally, I want you to see a saving message. And he adds this sentence. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? When the wood is green, he, Jesus was saying, Israel has just been through a wonderful time. A great spiritual revival. John the baptizer. The greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He had been the ambassador. There had been a gigantic revival. Affecting hundreds of thousands of people that took place. Under the preaching of John the baptizer. And then who came after the Messiah himself? It had been a time of grace. The Old Testament prophets had talked about this glorious day when the Messiah would come and think about it. You say, well, that wouldn't have. No, think about it. The blind, he made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He made the paralyzed to walk. He did what modern medicine cannot do. And he raised the dead. What a glorious time this was. 
And Jesus said, if they did this in the days of John the baptizer, if they did these in the days of the Messiah himself, if they did this in days of great blessing, what will it be like when the baptizer is gone? What will it be like when the Messiah has left? Isaiah spoke of these times of great blessings. You read it this morning in your bulletin. Take it home and underline it. What was the first word that was read in our call to worship? And what was the last words that that the congregation responded? Seek the Lord while he may be found. When it's a time of blessing, seek the Lord. Lord, draw near to us that we can draw near to you. Call on him while he is near. God was saying through Isaiah, there are times when I'm closer to you, times of grace when I reveal myself. Take advantage of those times. People, you've heard me say it, and I believe with all my heart it's the truth. Scripture says there's times of blessings when the Lord will draw near. And he'll bring his word in power. And if the family, the individual, the city or the state or the nation does not take advantage of it, he'll remove his word. What did he say in the Old Testament through the prophets? You will go to the north, you'll go to the south, you'll go east and west looking for the word of God. And you will not find it because I've removed it. And if you can't see that that is happening in this country right now, you're blind. It's exactly what's happened. That's why this message is so important. Jesus was saying, there's been a time of grace, a time when God drew near. But daughters of Jerusalem... God is about to draw near and it's going to be through the Roman army and it will be an awful time of judgment. Three crucifixions would take place at Golgotha that day. Two thieves and the Messiah. During the days that Jesus mentioned, those coming days in 70 AD, Josephus, a historian who was there with the Roman army, he was a Jewish historian embedded in the Roman army. He wrote a gigantic history of it. And he himself, the eyewitness, said that 500 Jews a day were being crucified outside the city walls. Imagine that happening in Fayette County. We don't don't like messages from God which warn of coming judgment. Ladies of Jerusalem, daughters of Jerusalem, don't we? Weep for the day that's coming. But why did Jesus say that? The point is, what was the point? The point is, it's a saving message. He did this. He spoke words of warning. He spoke words of judgment saying, listen, listen to this and repent. Change. That God may avert the judgment. Avoid the judgment. That God would take it away. This message of warning from God is like every message of warning from God. It's the same. 
You need to know. This is history. You need to know that when, that that during the destruction of Jerusalem, most of the Christian church was spared. They saw the coming Roman army and they got out. They remembered what Jesus said. C.S. Lewis said this. I believe there are too many accommodating preachers. Jesus did not say, this is Lewis now, I believe there are too many accommodating preachers. Jesus Christ did not say, go into the world and tell the world it is quite all right. The gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. When I wrote this message, I thought about a dear, dear lady who was a friend. She didn't understand the gospel. And occasionally when her husband was out of town, she lived about 20 miles away. Occasionally she would come to the church where I preached. And one day in visiting with her, as she spoke about not understanding, she was an intellectual, a real reader. And I said, told her, you read the book of Romans. Read the book of Romans. Well, one night her husband walked into the bedroom. She'd never read her Bible in front of her husband, never read the Bible in front of her husband. He walked into the room, and walked into the room and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm reading the book of Romans. He said, well, what does it say? And she said, it tells me how bad I am. That's the gospel. One day she asked me, and she told me that story. She asked, why does God tell me how bad I am? And there's only one answer. To save you. To save you. Anytime you've ever been convicted of sin, it's to save. The women began that afternoon by crying because of the suffering of Jesus. They couldn't stand the sight of it. And Jesus said, you're in far more danger. Weep for yourselves. And you will hear them say that to you. Were you inclined to weep for Jesus going up Golgotha? Jesus would turn to us and say, weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me. I'm dying to save you. He said, if they do this when the tree is green, what will they do when it's dry? And he said, you will call on the mountains to fall on you. That's not how we end our worship. No. We're going to end our message singing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee.